The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave? Well, it's hard to tell. They switched off the exterior lights on the White House last night to make it less of a target, leaving just the red dots of the rooftop snipers. Is it only a week from that virtual Memorial Day with no parades? June the 1st, 2020. June is busting out all over in over 30 cities nationwide. On this day in 1812, President Madison asked the American Congress to declare war on the United Kingdom. You remember the War of 1812? President Trump does. As he said to Justin Trudeau, aren't you the guys who burned down the White House? Uh, No, actually, the guys burning down Washington, D.C. right now are his own citizens. The aerial shot of America's capital showed the city ablaze to north, south, east and west of the Washington Monument, poking forlornly above the flames and smoke. The Lincoln Memorial has been vandalized. The Washington Mall and its most sacred national emblems could not be secured from the mob. The historic St. John's Church, where every president since the aforementioned Mr. Madison has worshipped, was set alight on Sunday. Fire! But who needs churches? The Supreme Court doesn't, as Todd Williamson, a Mark Stein club member from Georgia, writes, Dear Mark, I woke up this morning to see that the Supreme Court has issued a 5-4 to ruling against the California church that is petitioning to allow their usual number of members to congregate in their sanctuary. The majority opinion is that the church may have no more than 100 worshippers in their sanctuary. I wonder if the court will also opine on the number of rioters that are allowed to coalesce into a mob. Indeed, Todd, a lot of these rioters don't seem to be wearing their masks properly and aren't observing the six-foot social distance or the restrictions on how many looters are allowed in a store at any one time. On the other hand, if you think the gym or hair salon might be at risk of being infected by COVID, one way to prevent that is to burn it to the ground. People, you can do your riot on Zoom. 24 little boxes on the screen, all shouting pigs in a blanket simultaneously. And then just get out a safety match and light up a Lego precinct house. The good news, the good news is that nobody's talking anymore about that tedious cliche, the new normal. This looks a lot like a very old normal, very Hobbesian. Mobs, violence, infernos, destruction, looting and pillaging. There are two Americas, as John Edwards used to say. In one America, the state is so all-powerful that it can regulate when you leave your home, where you go, whom you meet, how many feet you stand from them, and whether and with whom you can play a round of golf. In the other America, the all-powerful state cannot secure the church that sits 200 yards straight across Lafayette Square from the White House. 
As a precaution this weekend, Secret Service agents rushed the President of the United States, Mrs. Trump, and their son, Barron, down to the underground bunker, just like in those crappy movies uh, like White House Down or Olympus Has Fallen. That is only done when there is a real emergency at the White House, Alex. That, that's just an extraordinary development that you're right, Don. We've just learned about in the past few moments reported by CNN's White House team. So what we're hearing uh, from law enforcement is that the president was taken to an underground bunker, uh, presumably by Secret Service. So White House sources are now leaking to the world that the president has had to retreat to a bunker. Well, within minutes and entirely predictably, hashtag bunker boy and hashtag bunker bitch were trending on Twitter. As I've said for years, it's a bifurcated society, open borders on the Rio Grande, the bagpipe police and the kinder egg Stapo on the northern border. But the internal contradictions, as Marx would say, are being stretched beyond parody. You're a law-abiding person. For three months, you've sat at home and obeyed the government edict not to open your business. You've lost thousands and thousands of dollars. The lousy check for 1200 bucks never came. Your payroll protection payment got diverted to the Kennedy Center and Planned Parenthood. And finally, the all-wise, all-knowing governor decrees that you are permitted to reopen and you drive downtown to find your stores a charred ruin. Two Americas. The insurrection has now spread to 27 states from Minnesota. I heard someone on the air talking about Minnesota nice. Yeah, I remember that. That's what I thought too, because uh, like most foreigners, I know nothing of Minnesota, at least until I met my dear friend Michelle Bachman. I knew nothing until meeting Michelle of Minnesota other than Garrison Keillor's Lake Wobegon and the old Mary Tyler Moore show. Who can burn the world down and overnight? Who can take a precinct house and suddenly make it all blazing bright? Uh. In real life, Minneapolis has a dysfunctional police department and an anti-police political leadership. So in situations like this, it's easiest to agree that law enforcement as a practical matter basically stands down. That model prevails also in Portland, Oregon, and is now the case in most of the ransacked downtowns. The curfews start earlier, 4 p.m. today in some cities. That's a long time before nightfall. And they go unenforced anyway. And when the sun comes up and the curfew ends, the looters go on looting in abandoned streets in broad daylight, as in Lower Manhattan this morning. What's the old line? When seconds count, the police are minutes away. Right now, when seconds count, the police are days away. In Coral Gables, Florida, the chief and his men chose to demonstrate that they're on the side of the quote-unquote protesters by kneeling Colin Kaepernick-like in the street outside their headquarters. But don't worry, they were all socially distanced and wearing their COVID masks. If you like your coppers to look like a synchronised swimming team in a drained pool, Coral Gables is the police department for you. If you want to encourage more riots, more looting, more burning, this is the way to do it. And actually... If you want to eliminate COVID-19, this isn't a bad way to do it because there's a lot more sheltering in place going on right now. On the other hand, if you want to enable your citizens to go about their lawful business, 
in your most famous cities, this is not the way to do it. So who's behind the chaos? Former National Security Advisor Susan Rice knows. I would bet, based on my experience, I'm not reading the intelligence uh, today uh, or these days, but based on my experience, this is right out of the Russian playbook as well. But we can't allow the extremists, the foreign actors, to distract from the real problems we have in this country that are long-standing, centuries old, and need to be addressed responsibly by new leadership. You're, you're absolutely right on the uh, foreign interference. Then again, in Minnesota, Governor Tim Waltz thinks the perps could be closer to home. Can you address, are there white supremacists causing destruction in the city? Yeah, well, these, these, the unconfirmed reports, and, uh, and again, we're trying to get that, but we've got intel from all the different agencies. Of course, this is where the federal government helps us with some of this. Um, I certainly can't confirm personally on this. My, my suspicions and what I've seen on this, yes. Uh-huh. White supremacist. So does that mean Governor Waltz's daughter Hope is a white supremacist? After all, she's on the side of the rioters, tweeting to warn them about whether or not daddies dispatch the National Guard. Radical chic used to mean the Black Panthers going to a party at Leonard Bernstein's pad on Central Park West. Cocktails, canapes, all very civilised. Now the Central Park West kids are visiting with the street thugs. The daughter of Mayor de Blasio was arrested during the riots. The chief law officer of Minnesota, the Antifa cheerleader Keith Ellison, likewise has a son who's pro-riot. An Egyptologist on Twitter offered advice on how to pull down an obelisk safely, just in case you're thinking of going for the Washington Monument. In New York, Two corporate lawyers hurled a Molotov cocktail into a police car outside the 88th Precinct House in Fort Greene. This is a classic revolutionary coalition, the snarling underclass and bored members of the overclass seduced by the frisson of anarchy. Civilization is never more than a veneer. Underneath, in the breast of man, not every man, but many, there is always, to one degree or another, a primal lust for chaos. And in the age of mass media, it's easier to accelerate past the boring stage of reasonable demands for modest reform of this or that and just cut to the chase of raising it all to the ground. That's one of the themes of my brand new tale for our time that we started over the weekend, G.K. Chesterton's The Man Who Was Thursday. We dig deeper and we blow you higher, says the serious anarchist. We wish to deny all those arbitrary distinctions of vice and virtue, honour and treachery, upon which mere rebels base themselves. The silly sentimentalists of the French Revolution talked of the rights of man. We hate rights as we hate wrongs. We have abolished right and wrong. And so the best way to protest the death of... Oh, what was his name now? Do the guys on the street even remember? The best way to protest his death is to destroy an affordable housing development, burn the few plastic bag possessions of a homeless man, beat up a female storekeeper in front of her husband... Or if you can't find an affordable housing development, a homeless man or a female storekeeper, just smash the Nike front window and steal shoes. As local police departments fail, as governors and mayors flail, where, when he's not in the bunker, is the president? I am the law and order candidate.
Not only am I the law and order candidate, but I'm also the candidate of compassion. Believe it, the candidate of compassion. But you can't have true compassion without providing safety for the citizens of our country. We will be tough, we will be smart, we will be fair, and we will protect all Americans. That was candidate Donald Trump in 2016, a long time ago now. So what are the politics of this? At least 13 Joe Biden staffers have given money to bail out the disgracefully few people arrested and jailed in these assaults on civilized life in America. Normally, the public does not reward politicians on the side of chaos and destruction as Joe Biden, or at least his staff, presently are. But normal, normal politics has been increasingly weird in America for a few years now. That's why Trump won uh, just four years ago. And because he won against all the polls and all the experts, the assumption among the base is that he'll win again, because that's what he does, especially as he's up against a mentally enfeebled buffoon running on a platform of sniffing your hair and insulting black radio hosts and 80-pound cowards. But these are weird times and getting weirder. Setting aside the burning of the national capital and the collapse of the global economy, I said way back when in a speech at the Breakers in Palm Beach toward an audience of conservatives uh, toward the end of 2017 that in my heart I had a preference for candidate Trump over President Trump, at least uh, as he'd been in those first few months. Uh, the guy who said Mexico wasn't sending us its best and who wanted them to pay for the war, that was before the Paul Ryan-Mitch McConnell Congress turned their back on the core elements of the Trump agenda, like immigration enforcement. As of the first of this year, 93 miles of barrier, barrier have been built, uh, all but three of those miles replacing existing structures. So at that rate of construction, Trump would have to remain president until 2083 to finish the thing. But it didn't matter because instead of his immigration agenda, he had a gangbusters economy that made him a shoe-in for re-election because it's the economy, stupid. Uh, the coronavirus, or more precisely, the response to the coronavirus, wiped out all the gains of the Trump years in a couple of weeks. As I said uh, way back, I think it was the very first of these shows, there's no precedent in human history for all the world's major powers except one, China, agreeing to tank their economies simultaneously. So there are 40 million Americans out of work, millions of businesses for which there will be no reopening. There is no precedent for re-electing a president when there's 20% unemployment. But maybe it's doable because Trump is a phenomenon and Biden is a hair-plugged husk breaking wind in his rec room. On the other hand, the dead husk is polling spectacularly. He's the first candidate to be ahead of the incumbent in every single poll in the May before the election since Jimmy Carter in 1976. But as I said, weird times, maybe that doesn't matter anymore. The president has lost his 2016 slogan, Make America Great Again, and his 2020 slogan, Keep America Great, because greatness of any kind is pretty thin on the ground.
Right now, he needs more than tough tweets. He needs tough actions. He needs to use the bully pulpit for more than needling Joe Scarborough. And above all, he needs to demonstrate that he can act. My old comrade Andy McCarthy says Article 4 of the Constitution authorizes the president to act against, quote, domestic violence. Right now, we have a coordinated, well-funded national insurrection against all the symbols of government, police stations in Minneapolis, City Hall in Philadelphia, the White House itself in the national capital. During the 1992 Rodney King riots in just one city, George Bush, George Bush the first, remember him, the guy with the wimp factor, as they sneered, the guy who reminded women of their first husband, as they scoffed, that guy, the wimp, took charge and sent in the Marines. Tonight, I want to talk to you about violence in our cities and justice for our citizens. Fifteen minutes ago, I talked to California's Governor Pete Wilson and Los Angeles Mayor Tom Bradley. To restore order right now, there are 3,000 National Guardsmen on duty in the city of Los Angeles. Another 2,200 stand ready to provide immediate support. To supplement this effort, I've taken several additional actions. First, this morning I've ordered the Justice Department to dispatch 1,000 federal riot-trained law enforcement officials to help restore order in Los Angeles beginning tonight. These officials include FBI SWAT teams, special riot control units of the U.S. Marshals Service, uh, the Border Patrol, and other federal law enforcement agencies. Second, Another 1,000 federal law enforcement officials are on standby alert should they be needed. Third, early today, I directed 3,000 members of the 7th Infantry and 1,500 Marines to stand by at El Toro Air Station, California. Tonight, at the request of the governor and the mayor, I have committed these troops to help restore order. I am also federalizing the National Guard and I'm instructing General Colin Powell to place all those troops under a central command. Now, granted, that was a different America. Before three decades of demographic transformation turned California into a one-party state. And granted, a few months later, George Bush lost to Bill Clinton anyway. So maybe speaking softly and carrying the big stick of the Marines, the Army, and a federalized National Guard didn't work for him personally. But Bush grasps something there. It only gets worse if you let days go by. In a situation like this, hours count. It's vital for the president to assert his authority and impress his will on his administration. It's true that he faces a media that seriously think any bad stuff in the in the otherwise peaceful protests is the work of Russian saboteurs and Macedonian content farmers and white supremacists all colluding with Trump. It's true that the Democrats have spent three years subverting a lawfully elected president in ways that no other administration uh, has had to put up with in American history. It's true that the most powerful intelligence agencies in the world went full Banana Republic coup plotters on their boss and have not given up on that, as we've seen from the uh, most recent resignations in the Justice Department. But it is also true the millions of ordinary Americans who don't pay any attention to that, 
Millions of ordinary Americans who voted for a wall and immigration enforcement got instead a pandemic and an insurrection. And in that situation, who knows how many will find Joe Biden reminiscing about how he took corn pop out in the War of 1812, a blessed relief. The president has to be the man he was in that 2016 soundbite and restore order to America. And he should refuse the next time any Secret Service agents bust into the Oval Office and demand to hustle him down to the bunker. Because right now, with the leak of that and the attendant mockery in those hashtags, that looks like just another deep state permanent bureaucracy setup of the president. Can't get enough of America's undocumented anchorman? SteinOnline.com is your one-stop shop for all things Stein. Catch new episodes of The Mark Stein Show. Sit back and experience features like Stein's Song of the Week and Mark Stein's Tales for Our Time. Get the most of Stein Online by joining the Mark Stein Club, a global community of people just like you. The show never stops for members of the Mark Stein Club. Head on over to steinonline.com club for details. There are a few other things happening in the world today. Let's get to a couple of them. It's your Monday Mohammed. There are many brave Muslims in the Middle East who are very unblinkered about the regimes under which they have the misfortune to live. There are also many, many more crazy Muslims so ready to take umbrage at the slightest dissent and finger their courageous co-religionists to the authorities. Amani Alzane is a Saudi lady. She lives in Jeddah and she's a... Uh, I suppose the word is housewife, which is a rather more literal and constricting term than it would be if you could still use the word in the Western world. But she's a bit of an activist, and so a few months back she was on a live Twitter chat with a fellow activist from Egypt, while Gonim. <laughs> Did you catch those words right at the beginning? They were talking about Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and Amani al-Zain jokingly referred to his highness as Abu Munsha, or father of the saw. Because as the world knows, crown prince Mohammed is the guy who ordered the hit on Jamal Khashoggi in the Saudi consulate in Istanbul, sent in the guys with the bone saws, chopped him up into very portable pieces, and then had him taken out of the premises in plastic bags and scattered around town. All this is well known, and Abu Munshar, father of the saw, is a widely recognised nickname for MBS by... Uh, dissolute Saudi layabout princelings as they spend the summer gambling and whoring in Mayfair. And if, as the experts tell us, we are obliged to suck it up and continue to treat with a blood-drenched thug posing as a reformer, then the least we should be able to do is make jokes about him. But, but, you're not meant to say it out loud on a social media platform, especially if you're a Saudi woman appearing on a live stream without her mandatory body bag and with her face and hair visible to the world as if she were an infidel. So in response to Amani Alzane's 
Twitter appearance, the hordes of grotesque suck-ups that any Islamic regime manages to inculcate immediately went bananas and started agitating for her arrest. Miss Alzane has now disappeared. The Gulf Centre for Human Rights in Beirut and the Geneva Centre for Rights and Liberties say that the authorities came to her home in Jeddah and took her away. There are no jokes in Islam, as the Ayatollah Khomeini famously said, and that goes double for a member of the Saudi royal family who's doubling as the dismemberer of the Saudi royal family. If you've got a congressman or a member of parliament, bring this case to their attention so that the fearless Amani al-Zain does not go the way of Khashoggi. Uh, we do not need Saudi oil anymore, which means we do not need to pretend that the father of the saw is our friend or a serious reformer. They have to reform because of what's happening to oil. That's the pressure. Your Monday Mohammed, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and God bless and protect the woman who called him what he is. Mark Stein's Last Call. Just three weeks ago on Last Call, we noted the passing in Spain of Antonio González Pacheco, a Franco-era torturer enjoying a relaxing retirement until COVID-19 came along and cut it short. And I mentioned that attempts to bring him and others to justice had been the subject of a film co-produced by Pedro Almodovar called El Silencio de Atroz, The Silence of others. It's simply a forgetting, an amnesty for all, by all, a forgetting for all, by all. I was six years old when they came for my mother. This is the gravesite, this is the mass grave. I live just meters from the person who tortured me. This is not about looking at the past. We're fighting for the future. The man saying he lived just meters from his torturer is Jose Maria Galante, or to give him his nickname, Chato Galante. Chato, I think, means boring in Spanish, which he certainly wasn't. So as I touched on three weeks ago, when Chato discovered that he lived on the same street as Antonio Pacheco, or Billy El Nino, Billy the Kid, lots of nicknames on both sides of the Franco divide, Chato Galante took to strolling down the sidewalk to film short videos outside Billy the Kid's apartment house. Aquí vive Antonio González Pacheco. Chato Galante fought a long battle to bring Antonio Pacheco to court. This is almost a 50-year journey. Um, and through that journey, I, I entirely understand what motivated you. But I want to know what, what kept giving you hope in that journey. Uh, Lo que me da esperanza es considerar 
que la pelea por los derechos humanos, nuestra pelea por la justicia, eh, no es algo que afecte solo a las víctimas, sino que afecta al conjunto de la sociedad. What gives me hope is that the struggle that we victims have is not something that affects us, affects us all, uh, only us victims, but affects the entire society. In the end, it was not the Spanish courts that did for Billy El Nino, but COVID-19. Exactly three weeks later, the virus took his neighbor and nemesis on that Madrid street, Chato Galante. Torturer and victim in Francoist Spain, the accused and his accuser in post-Franco Spain, but treated as one by the great leveler. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 71, Jose Maria Galante. Când clopotele încep să sune și să vestească The funeral obsequies for a Romanian archbishop across a continent from Chato and Billy El Nino in Madrid. But much of Europe is a land of agreed secrets the dark cellars of the past that the present decides it's best to leave locked and bolted. Pimen Zaineo was born in 1929 in the Kingdom of Romania. He liked the Romanian monarchy, as do I, my lawyer in Michael Mann's eight-year defamation suit against me. My lawyer in that case was previously King Michael of Romania's lawyer, very successfully. But King Michael was forced by the commies to abdicate in 1947, and Pimen found himself a young seminary student in a monastery that was now under a totalitarian dictatorship. In 1982, he became the Romanian Orthodox Church's Archbishop of Suchava and Radowitz in the Bukovina. The communist regime lasted another seven years until on Christmas Day 1989, while His Holiness was celebrating the birth of Christ with his congregation, Nicolae Ceausescu and his wife were put up against a wall and shot. Archbishop Pimen found Romania's new rulers more uh, complicated. The Ceausescu crowd were hardcore atheists, thought Christianity was stupid, and thus had no great use for the Orthodox Church. The new government, comprised of one-time Ceausescu loyalists who'd turned on him in the final days, took a subtler view. They were opportunists who thought the Church might indeed have its uses in a post-communist Romania, lacking any other kind of institutional continuity. Archbishop Pimen found their attempts at larding a little light religiosity onto the new Eurosecularism a slyer kettle of fish. And given the bloody end of the Ceausescus, it was never likely that there would be the same agreement as in Spain to simply close the books on the past. The Romanian Commission actively identified those who had been collaborators with the Securitate, Ceausescu's secret police, and in the fullness of time, the authorities named among them 
Archbishop Pimmon. Alta Curte de Casație și Justiție a decis marți definitiv și irevocabil că arhiepiscopul Sucevei și rădăuților în al preasfințitul Pimen a colaborat cu fosta securitate. Ierarhul contestase decizia Consiliului Național pentru Studierea Arhivelor Securității din octombrie 2007, prin care a fost desconspirat drept colaborator al securității. The Commission ruled that the Archbishop had been a securitate informer since 1975. You could appeal the finding to a court. So he did and lost. He appealed it to the High Court and lost again. And so the verdict stands, though it never seemed to damage him, in the Book of Ina, whose church he led for four decades. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 90, Archbishop Pimen Zainer. There are new fault lines in today's Europe, and one day perhaps new courts and new commissions will likewise judge those who picked the wrong side. Claude Goesgen was a French cabinet minister in the 90s, a staunch friend of Israel, and a champion of the poor, beleaguered, ever-shrinking Christian community in the Middle East. As a result, he often found himself at odds with France's Muslims. Je ne suis pas sûr que pour le moment le chemin de la communauté musulmane soit sur la direction d'une identité heureuse. Et je dirais même que elle m'inquiète de plus en plus cette communauté musulmane. Elle est absente. Monsieur Goazgan on French TV a couple of years ago. I'm not sure that at the moment the road the Muslim community is on is heading in the direction of a happy identity. I'm more and more concerned about this Muslim community. Sometimes he put it more bluntly. C'est une vidéo amateur tournée lors d'une soirée de gala du KKL, le Fonds national juif. Sur scène, le député UMP Claude Goasgen dénonce l'antisémitisme avant d'évoquer la Shoah. Cette Shoah terrible qu'on n'ose plus enseigner dans les lycées, tant on a peur de la réaction des jeunes musulmans qui ont été drogués dans les, dans les mosquées. Jeunes musulmans drogués dans les mosquées. Young Muslims drugged in the mosques. Les musulmans were not in the least bit happy about that one. He had a knack for memorable coinages, a skill which does not always serve a politician well. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 75, Claude Goaskin. We have been a bit unrelentingly political in this last call. Francoists, communists, monarchists, post-communists, Zionists and Muslims. So here's something a little less uh, fractious. Brazil now has the second highest number of confirmed corona cases in the world and the fourth highest number of official fatalities in the world after America, Britain and Italy. Officially, as I say. Among the dead are a large number of Brazilian musicians, including a singer, guitarist and songwriter who'd entertained audiences since the age of 11, way back in 1939. They loved it when he sang this one. Evaldo Gouveia, Alguém me disse, someone told me. Alguém me disse, que tu andas novamente. De novo amor, nova paixão, toda contente. Conheço bem tuas promessas, outras ouvi iguais a essas. 
esse teu jeito de encantar Conheço bem Pouco me importa Que tu beijes tantas vezes E que tu mudes de paixão Todos os meses Se faz beijar Como eu pensei Fazer sonhar Como eu sonhei Mas sem ter nunca Amor igual Ao que eu te dei I know too well the ways of your deception. I don't care if you share your kiss untold times and that you change your passions every month. Ah, we've all known women like that. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 91. Evaldo Gouveia. Conheço bem tuas promessas Outras ouvi that's our show for today. We had a busy weekend at Stein Online with Kathy Shadle's movie column on a rather odd 1950s indie flick and our Sunday song selection honouring Tom Jones on the eve of his 80th birthday. And we launched a brand new tale for our time by popular request. It's G.K. Chesterton and his best-known novel, The Man Who Was Thursday. If you were too busy torching your local precinct house and looting Walmart this weekend, I hope you'll check one or three of those out as this new week begins. I'll be back this evening with part three of The Man Who Was Thursday. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. reserved.